to season five of One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. I'm a mom, a therapist, a parent coach, and an author. And I'm a daughter and a kick-ass high school student. Each week, we'll discuss a different parenting topic. And we'll interview some amazing guest experts. Our goal is to provide an interesting informational resource for busy parents. While also offering the perspective of a teen. Stay tuned, everyone. Crushed it. Hello, welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. Anna's a little nervous today. Mm -hmm. Tell us why you're nervous, Anna. We're talking about a topic that's very hot in my life right now. (laughs) Sex, drugs, no, (laughs) college. Oh, college. (laughs) Oh my gosh, bro, only you. (laughs) See, I'm trying to lighten the mood because you're like, like literally as we're talking, I'm getting emails from college from my Apple watch. Oh, don't look at your watch, man. Oh my God. Bro, okay. I'm, I'm really interested because I think this is going to be very helpful. You know, it's a great resource, but. Yes. Well, for those of you who are longtime listeners, we have had Michelle McEnany on our podcast two other times to talk about the process of applying to college. She's an educational consultant. She's the owner of a business called The College Spy. So you can find her at www.thecollegespy.com. She just does so much work with supporting kids who are applying to college, trying to find the best fit, trying to keep their stress level managed and just go into the next next phase of their life, like really feeling good about their decision. And so I, for whatever reason, am like a super chill parent about this process. And I mean, I just feel like it's it's, you have all the skills you need. I feel like I have the skills to support you. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know there's a lot of parents like really losing sleep about it, which I'm not a fan of worrying about things that I feel I can either handle with competence or find the information that I need to handle it with competence. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. But next week, which, well, we're recording this today on July 29th. It's this episode will be released the first week in August in the common, it's called the common application. Common, what is that what it's called, Michelle? The common application. Yes. Is opening on Monday, the first. August 1st. Yes. Yes. So Michelle is here to talk to us about this process of applying. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be talking with both of you. This is a fun podcast to be on because Anna's here. I don't always get to talk to the students during podcasts. <laughs> well, I told you, I was like, we might have to reschedule because Anna Banana has this work schedule. Mm-hmm. And I was worried she was going to, but she got out at four. I actually got out earlier than that. Well, you me. knew you were scheduled to four. Yes. So we scheduled this for five to make sure that, that she would Perfect. be able to be here. So... Do you want to start with what is the Common App, just in case we have parents listening who aren't sure what it is? Yes. And if you are a parent and you are thinking about how you have to start a conversation or continue a conversation with your kid, who's probably going into their senior year about how they need to get going on this, this episode could be a good way to start that conversation. So like set it aside in your phone, hit play again the next time you're in your car with your kid. And then just, you know, let our words of wisdom wash over your kid. (laughs) So yes, tell us, what is it? Tell us about it. 
Okay. So the common application is one application that students can send to over 900 colleges. So the common application simplifies the process of applying to college because you fill it out once and then indicate in the application which colleges you want it to go to. Okay. So pretty much all colleges are linked to it. I know you said 900, but I mean, for the average kid, I mean, their college is going to get this. I work with a lot of students who only end up filling out the Common App because the colleges they're most interested in are member colleges of the Common App, and it works out for them. Sometimes, I mean, there are 4,000 colleges in the United States, so there are definitely colleges out there that your student might be applying to where you will not be filling out the Common App. Sometimes that means that that college's individual application is a whole lot easier than the Common App. Maybe it doesn't have an essay. It's a simple process of filling out a form. And hopefully that is the case for your listeners if they have to fill out something besides the Common App. But I've never worked with a student who hasn't filled it out. So it's good that we're talking about it because likely your listeners will have a child that will fill out this one application. Now, is there a date that you have to have your Common App in by? Each college sets their own deadlines, and some colleges have several deadlines. They might have an early deadline and a later deadline. So parents and students need to get on the websites of the colleges that they're interested in to look up what are these deadlines. The earliest deadlines that I see are October 15th, and the often the deadline, you'll often find it in January. Usually it's that first week of January. Okay. So if you're a parent and it's August 1st on Monday, do you need to be like freaking out on your kid? Is it like, well, you're going to need to spend the next two months grueling away in front of your desk to get this done on time? Well, luckily, well, first, no, in general, and also it won't take two months, which is good. It will if a, if a student drags their heels and kicks and screams their way through it. But if they sit down and focus, they can fill it out much quicker than that. I recommend that students fill out the common application the summer before senior year, simply because then when they get to high school, they can focus on their senior courses, their extracurricular activities, and their other commitments, knowing that the application is mostly complete. There might be one or two pieces in the application that they won't be able to fill out over the summer because they're going to need information from their school counselor. So they will fill out most of it, or they can, and then check in with their counselor the first, second week of school to get those final pieces of information. Okay. So do you hear that? How do you feel about that, Anna? I feel that's, yeah, I feel good about that. You think you can get going well, on? I, I have an ACD tutor who also does helps a lot with like college applications and stuff. And we met yesterday and we had a big talk about like the steps we're going to take because we only meet for an hour. And so, you know, an hour isn't that long. And so we were talking about like the slow steps. So we made a common app yesterday and she told me the stuff to fill it out and how like, just do these simple things first. And then we'll get more into like the in-depth and I'll explain more when we have more time. And we, I set up a college fine account so that I could, you know, do all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like that's reasonable. Yeah, it is. And I think most students, once they create an account with, with the Common App, and that website is commonapp.org, and they start to click around and figure out where do I add the colleges I want to apply to? What are the sections that I need to fill out? 
the stress level goes down because they realize this is manageable. And within about four minutes, I would say students would say it's intuitive what they need to do. And a lot of the Common App is actually busy work. It's detailed and it takes time to fill out. But it's busy work in the sense of it's drop-down menus where you choose the answer. You don't have to write a big essay for every single section. You pick the answer. It might ask, what does your parent do for an occupation? And then find their occupation and click on it. So there are many sections of the application that students can fill out and feel good, like, yes, that's done. And as soon as a section is done, they give you a green check mark next to Ooh, that section. So you I know it's those. done. And that green <laughs> check mark feels really good. So a student who logs in and just gets started, takes that first step, will experience a sense of accomplishment. And often that sense of accomplishment brings about the motivation to move on to maybe some of the harder parts of the application. I was, we were saying before we got on this call that I was talking to a colleague and I was saying how like, chill I am about this whole process. And I was like, am I like not being a good mom here? Because I just feel like it's all going to be fine. And she pointed out that for a therapist to get licensure, it is such a long involved process of just document after document. And, you know, you get stuff notarized and you have to get fingerprints and you have to turn in, you know, all your transcripts. And then if you have a course that isn't clear what it's about, you got to dig back into the year that you took it and write a summary and get that notarized and like all this stuff. And so it takes, even if you have everything, it can take like several weeks. And so she's like, well, your frame of reference for like misery when it comes to applications is so different than the average person. And right now I'm in the process of hiring two new therapists to be part of my practice. And so they're in the process of getting licensed in North Carolina because they're coming from other states. And so I'm just like, there's no way that it's as bad as what I'm used to. Like, this is like so doable. But I know for some parents that I've spoken to who haven't had to fill out an application forever, it feels so time-consuming and overwhelming. Yes, it does. And, and I think sometimes there aren't good directions offered by the people who might give out these directions, maybe the school or maybe the actual common application itself. So the directions on how to fill out the application are clear, but what are the other parts of the application that the student isn't responsible for and the school or the teachers, it's the school counselor or the teachers who need to send in a piece. How does all that end up? Maybe the student did the application, but how do those other pieces end up in the hands of the admissions counselor who's going to be evaluating the application? That's confusing for families. And I think the reason why you don't find that online is every school does it just a little bit different or they use a different software. And so students are often waiting to get that information and it comes late to them. When I was a school counselor before being an educational consultant, the first thing we had to do in September was change everybody's schedule 10 times over. And so we didn't really get to helping our seniors with their applications until end of September, beginning of October. So kids who are ready to go in August felt confused for a longer period of time because they didn't have the information that they needed. So it can feel super overwhelming. But once you get started, you get a sense of reward and with your green check marks and motivation will come and the right questions to ask start to show up in your mind because you can see in the application, oh, that's what, I don't understand how this works. Now I know what to ask. 
So this might be out of order. So tell me if it is, but I'm curious as to of the parts of the application that the student doesn't have complete control over. Like you said, there's pieces that the the school counselor might need to complete or a teacher or something. How many of those pieces are like, you know, it, you, I know you need to get like letters of recommendation so that like you have the initiative to reach out to a teacher or a boss or whoever you get it from. But obviously you are at the mercy of whether or not they do it in, and in what timeline. Yes. So what are some components of the application that are that are not just, you know, filling out, you know, your own essay or the drop down menus? Sure. What's out of your control is what you're asking. So the letters of recommendation for sure, but the student first needs to know how many they need and who they need to be asking. And each college will indicate what they want. So some might say, we want two teacher letters. And some might say, well, if you're applying for engineering, we want a math and a science teacher. And some might take an other recommender, which would be clergy, coach, a family friend, somebody who could speak to your credentials other than a teacher. So it varies per school. And so that can be confusing to students. And then they have to go ask for those letters and provide that person with the information of how do you get the letters into the actual application. It's usually an invite through email. This is what stresses me out. Like the letters are wrong. Yes. Because I don't know who I'm going to ask. Oh my gosh, you can ask anybody. All your teachers love you. Not really. I'm kind of quiet. Your math teacher thought you were mouthy. Uh, my math teacher thought my name was Susanna. Oh, mm, yeah, that one so. doesn't feel so good about asking the math teacher. <laughs> my math teacher. Well, I'll give you some advice around that. It's usually, but not always, the right thing to do to ask junior or senior year teachers. Senior year teachers would be if you're going to send in your applications in January because then they'll know you. So you might want to think about a junior year teacher because they can describe you as a student. Maybe better than a freshman year teacher because you right. might have changed from freshman year to junior year. But because it was COVID, COVID. Mm-hmm. right, maybe, right. So that might change how people make those decisions. That standard advice of a junior, senior year teacher has become a little bit more flexible because of COVID and everybody's situation is slightly different. And the other piece of information is to pick an academic subject teacher almost always. So math, English, science, history, foreign language. If you are planning on studying something in the STEM field, you might want to pick a science math teacher. And if let's say you are interested in music or art or something, then that's where you might stray away from that standard five key subject area. Your English teacher liked you junior year. That's true. And English teachers are often good writers. So they could Maybe everybody would say something good about you, but the one who's a better writer could express it in a way that the admissions counselor could truly absorb. Mm -hmm. So that might be a consideration. And then students have to follow up with the teachers too, because teachers have a lot of letters to write. Some are on task and some aren't. uh, And you want to make sure your letters get there on time. And and that's uncomfortable for kids sometimes is to give a reminder to a teacher. And how Mm -hmm. do you do that? Right. So parents might, might need to help students with the language for that. So that's okay. typical. I can help with that. <laughs> I always feel flattered when students ask me for a letter of rec. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, they clearly got something out of my class. They value my opinion enough to ask my opinion mm-hmm. about their performance or so I find it flattering. That's how I choose to frame it. Yeah. 
most teachers say, say yes, and it wouldn't be a problem. But to answer the rest of your question, the other parts of the application that are with, not within the student's control come from the, from the school counseling department. And they are the counselor letter of recommendation, something called the secondary school report, which the counselor fills out, a school profile, which every high school has one, and they submit it to colleges in order so that the colleges can understand the type of high school that the applicant is coming from and the opportunities that applicant had. Oh, and the transcript. I'm sorry. That's probably the most important part, the transcript. <laughs> and those things will go from the school counselor. And the school counseling offices, I've never really, I don't think I've never worked with one that has been not on top of this. It's a big part of their job and they get them in on time. So uh, all of that is not within the student's control, but the actual common app itself that they can start filling out this Monday, August 1st, is within your control. And I recommend students start it as soon as possible. See, this is all doable. Check. For sure. Check. Green check. check. <laughs> yeah, the green check thing. I love that. Mm-hmm. I like to be positively reinforced. You're so. doing so good. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So that gives me some idea of what's out of the student's control or media control. So now there's the common app. You open it up, you create an account, you fill out the like obvious stuff, like your name and birth date and stuff like that. Where does it get more complicated? So it gets more complicated starting in this. There might be some, there's an education section, which could be complicated for kids because they, it might ask them, is your the GPA you're reporting weighted or not weighted? What scale is it out of? And sometimes students don't know the answers to that and need to ask their school counselor. So that part I recommend, if you don't know, skip it, talk to your school counselor when you get back to school. The next section is the testing section where students can put in their standardized test scores. And that's hard for kids because sometimes they don't have them 100% because they are either haven't taken the test yet or they are retaking the test. And so they're not sure which scores they're going to put in. And then we also have test optional, which for many colleges is, is a possibility and students need to make a decision about whether they're going to be submitting their test scores to the various schools. So that part, sometimes kids feel a little bit stuck at, but it's not hard. You still, if you're entering your scores, you just enter them. But if you're trying to fill out your application right now and you're still not, you're not taking the ACT until September, October, you're not going to get your green check mark. You're going to need to skip over that section and move on to the next section, which is the activity section. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So if they, if you decide to be test optional, do you have to like fill out, like do an extra essay or something like that? Some colleges will ask you to do something extra. If you're not submitting test scores and other colleges won't. So what will happen, we didn't go over this part in the, in the podcast yet, is that so you have your main common app and then you put in the schools you want to send it to. And each of those schools can customize their application or their part of the application and put extra questions. One of those questions will be around testing. Do you want to submit your scores or are you applying test optional? So you entered the scores in the main part of the application. And then for each college, you can say, yes, I want to submit. No, I don't want to submit. In that section for each college, if you don't submit, it will tell you, you need to do this instead, or you need to, it will say nothing if you need to do nothing. So I would say most schools are test optional, and it's really optional if you don't submit it. 
that you don't submit it, but there are some that might ask for something extra. Got it. Thank you. But if it's something extra, it sounds like it's an essay that's extra, right? You're not turning in something else, right? Um, it could be essay, maybe depending on the college portfolio, maybe they want different scores. If you're not going to hand in ACT scores, they'd like to see two AP scores or IB mm. scores or it's rare. You're not going to see this too much. Most of the time, optional means optional. They want your application. So by having the student do something extra or have to submit something extra, that puts up a barrier to receiving the application. And that's not really what colleges want because the more applications they have, the more students they can possibly reject and the more selective they look. They have a lower acceptance rate. So they really want a lot of applications. Don't you have to pay for each application you submit? So aren't, aren't they getting your money? They are getting your money, but they care how they're doing in the college rankings and U.S. News and World Report and other ranking publications. So they want the money. They would like that fee, but they also just want to have the most applications possible because that helps them look selective. Depends on the college. Other colleges are happy to have your application simply because they need students and you might be a great fit and do well there. But there are some colleges who just want applications and they would never dream of putting up barriers to applications by requiring something beyond your app if you don't submit your test scores, something extra. Hmm. Do they know what schools you've applied to? Like, do that? To, can one college see like, oh, she applied to this other college? They cannot see that, but I do think they generally know. Colleges know who their peer institutions are. So they know if your kids who apply to this school also apply to those schools in our region because they just, that's what usually happens. So, for example, uh, students who are looking at large state schools that are very selective, like the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, unless they want to stay in state. They might also be looking at the University of Michigan, University of Wisconsin, that, so peer institutions. And I also think they know based on the major you indicate. So somebody who might be, if you're applying to, let's say, the Kelly School of Business at the University of Indiana, you're probably also applying to the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. They're very close to each other and they're both business schools are of quality, right? So um, I think they do generally know, but they can't actually see it. They're guessing. And they don't know. They don't know if you applied to four schools or 14 schools, right? No, they wouldn't know that either, but they could take a guess if they wanted to based on just analytics around things you say about your parents, your zip code, what other students tend to do coming out of the high school that you're in. So they might be able to take some guesses around their applicant pool that way. How many schools should you apply to? Well, it's different per student. So some students can apply to three schools and it works perfectly for them. And other students might need to apply to 15 or 20. 20, I'm thinking more a musical theater major where your type might come into play. 20, it's usually, I would say, too many. Maybe you didn't do your research to narrow down your list if you want to put 20 on your list. But every student is different. Some kids put a lot of reach colleges on, right? But if you're the kind of student who puts on likely schools or target schools, places you're probably going to get in, you would probably need less schools than kids who really want to reach beyond maybe where they're likely to get accepted. So it depends on the student. How many cool. schools are you going to apply to? I don't know. I've been thinking about it. Do you want to share with us like, any details? I don't have like a definite number, but I'm I want you to create closer a list to 10 right and closer now. to three. Yeah, I agree. 
But I don't, I don't know about 20. That seems like a lot, but I think definitely more than like four. Yeah. Okay. Between probably like eight and 12. I would say that's typical, but most of my students are applying between eight and 12. Okay. The other thing to know is that part of the application where each college can customize the application to themselves, they might ask you to write an extra essay called the supplemental essay. So students who put a lot of colleges on their list often will have more essays than students who put less colleges on their list. But not every college requires an extra essay, just some do. Okay. So where on her college application would be the information about this podcast? (laughs) Extracurriculars, right? I would actually recommend two places, probably the extracurricular activities that you should list that you do this. However, there's not a lot of space in the activity section. There's 150 characters to describe each activity. And I would love for the college's that you are applying to, to be able to click on the podcast and either listen to it or just look at the website for it so they could see the types of people you're interviewing, right? Because you've interviewed all kinds of different, very interesting people and how you're helping others. So you can put a link to the podcast in the additional information section. And this is one of those sections that requires strategy because it's optional. And many students, when they see optional, they think, Great. I don't have to do it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But it's a missed opportunity for a lot of students who don't really know how to use the section to their benefit. But for you, you could write a few sentences about the podcast and then leave a link to it to invite them to look if they would like to. They might not click on it. They don't have infinite time, lots of applications to read, but they might. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So letting them know that they can and making it easy for them to do is a good idea. Plus, it just shows that the legitimacy of it, because I think one of the things that we've got going for us now is we have over 100 episodes. We've been going over two years now. You know, we have a lot of really teenaged focused topics that Mm -hmm. are enriching to your peer group. And like, it's not like you're just tagging on to something I'm doing right? where you're just sitting there like this is uh, opportunities for you to be like really participatory in. Yeah. So sure. even if they just click on it and be like, wow, they've got a lot and look at these are topics that are really teen friendly. And like, this is a meaningful activity. This isn't like her mom's doing a podcast about, you know, her rose bushes <laughs> and I happen to be, you know, helping with the, which buttons to push or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And when you just describe the podcast in those 150 characters, some of the things your mom just said would be good to mention. You've been doing it for over two years, how many episodes you have and the types of topics so that the admissions counselors can understand the impact that you've had. Mm -hmm. And I also do think that they would be interested in the fact that you're doing this as a mother-daughter activity. Lots of kids don't get along with their parents well and and can't do a project together, but you can. And it says something about you, Anna, that you can do this with your mom and that you enjoy doing it with her. So Mm -hmm. uh, they would want to know that. Perfect. Score. Green chip. Green check. Green check mark for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have, I've been taking notes. We have the education section. We have testing section. We have activities. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So these essays, right? Are they like not research-based? Cause that doesn't seem like right. But are they like more personal essays? Like, am I writing about when I was eight years old and I lost my first tooth and like that kind of thing? Or are they like 
Yeah, that's a good question. I want to know about that too. <laughs> there are personal essays, but you will not write about when you were eight years old because colleges <laughs> really want to learn about you as a high school student because they're trying to figure out if you're going to be a good fit for campus. So telling them a story about something that happened during high school will help them a lot more to figure out if you are a good fit than what happened when you were eight. Although right. sometimes some students do reference things that happened when they were younger, but the bulk of the essay is about something much more current. I usually have students, this is the easiest way to do it, figure out what qualities or characteristics about yourself you want admissions to know. So for example, maybe you want them to know that you are very passionate about teen topics. So you're showing your passion. That's mm -hmm. the that's the thing you want them to know is that you're passionate. Talking about your podcast will be and telling a story about it would be the topic that would show the passion. So the college admissions counselors, I don't think they really care about the topic as much as what it says about you as a person. Okay. So if you figure out, this is what I want them to know about me. I want them to know I'm passionate or I'm organized or I'm persistent, some type of personal quality or characteristic, and then figure out what story can I tell them? It doesn't have to be something big. It could just be one of those, like one day this happened and it just shows your whatever quality it is. That's the easiest right way to write the essay. I think about the emails we've gotten about the podcast where it like helped somebody, mm -hmm. you know, and they like send an email and they're like, oh, because of your podcast, this decision was made that was helpful or whatever. And I'll read them to you. And I'm like, look mm -hmm. at, you know, like, look at, we did something mm -hmm. that made that, an impact. That made an impact. And so I think, gosh, how could you take one of those anecdotes and speak to something about you? Mm hmm. I don't know. I think there's a yeah. lot of opportunity here. I mean, it doesn't I have mean, to be about the podcast. Not only is applying to college stressful and overwhelming and, you know, worrisome, but it's also exciting because you're opening a new chapter to your life. You're able to share yourself with other people. You're able to find out information about yourself, realize the things that you've accomplished, you know, look at it in different ways. What you just said is something I hear from my students quite a bit, or I just see it and note it, where when we first start, they're a little bit hesitant, maybe, or they're not sure, or maybe they're dragging their feet, they're late to the meeting. And then all of a sudden, something switches, and you can tell they're proud of what they wrote about in their essay, because it really talks about one of their best qualities and gives good examples. It doesn't just say, I am this, it shows that they are, or they're, they're filling out the honors and awards section and they're saying, well, look at everything that I have here to show that, show my accomplishments and then projecting, I think they're projecting into the future what they're going to be doing next also. But I think that if you start early enough so that you don't have stress at the end, I got to get this done, it's due in four days, it could be kind of a fun project to put together this portfolio basically about yourself. That's, sure. That's how you should frame it to yourself. Mm -hmm. I really try. I really try for the kids. So, but I do see it happen naturally with them because we break it into steps. So it's not so overwhelming. All right. So the activities section, you said a bit about the essay and like, you know, how you're looking to convey a quality about yourself. What other sections are there? Okay. So we've got testing activities, essay. It's the additional information section. So there's 
within the writing section, there's two optional questions. One is about COVID and one is just open additional info. This is where I told you to drop a link to your podcast. So the COVID question, there's lots of different opinions on if people should fill this out or not. And they're just giving you, I think it's 250 words. I think a long paragraph to write about what happened to you during COVID that would be helpful to admissions to know about. And for most of my students, it's not necessary to fill that out. Nothing happened to them during COVID that was particularly unique that admissions couldn't guess. Oh, they had to go online and do their work or they couldn't be with their friends or they didn't do tennis that season. But there are some times where students might want to write about maybe they didn't have access to technology. Maybe somebody got very sick or a job was lost or something like that, where they would want to write about the impact of COVID on their lives because it will add context to the application. So there is a space for you to do that. So that's where you could talk about how the podcast was started because of COVID. Because you and I were home Mm -hmm. in the house, rattling around and found something to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not very insightful. (laughs) Well, I think the way the question is phrased, you're sort of thinking like, what are the negative things that have happened? Hardships. But, But something like that, where you're like, is this COVID or not COVID? Just You could just put it in the additional info section because that is longer. They give you 650 words, which is the same number of words as the college essay. So think a good page of typing where you could talk about anything you want. And this is where I encourage students and I do it with them to go back over the whole application and figure out what's missing. What is it about me that admissions needs to know to understand what kind of community member I'm going to be and what kind of student I'm going to be at the college, that there was no other place in the application to put this. So for some kids, it might be expanding on a extracurricular activity that they just didn't have enough space to explain exactly what it was. For some kids, it's why did they choose to take this set of classes over that set of classes? There might have been a very good reason. Maybe students have some type of discrepancy on their transcripts. So one semester, their grades tanked. This is a spot where they could write about having a concussion and how they came back from that and started to do better. So I would say about half of my students write something here. I've never had a student write 650 words. It's good to be short and succinct and to the point, giving the information and missions needs without wasting their time on great, I can just go on and on about myself so that you'll accept me. That's not Mm -hmm. really what it's for. It's to add context to the application. So uh, that part requires some strategy and, and it's hard for students. They really don't know what to write. It's also a good place to talk about your learning disability or learning difference if you have one and what you might want to say about that in terms of courses that you've taken or or accommodations you use or what you might have overcome. Every student's story is a little bit different about what they might want to write. Hmm. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Did we go through all the sections? I feel like we're done with the application and applied to college, got in, mm-hmm. and are almost ready to graduate. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? How do you feel, Anna? I feel good. Do you feel, does it feel I mean, more manageable? Do you mean about my life or like about this conversation? About this conversation. Oh, I feel good about this conversation. But you don't feel good about your life? Um, I still have to figure that out. Your life? Yeah. Huh. No pressure there. <laughs> I feel like you're torturing yourself here. A big piece of the application is figuring out where to send it to. And a lot of students feel stuck with that. 
And I just want to assure your listeners that in order to start filling this out, you don't really need to know 100% your college list. You can adjust it later. So you could just add a couple of colleges into the Common App that you think you'll be applying to and then change them if you want to change them. So, but it, that is a piece of it is that students don't necessarily want to get started because they feel like I must know exactly where I'm going and what I'm going to be studying when I get there in order to fill out my application. And that's really not true. You need to know in order to submit your application where you want to apply to, but not to start filling it out. So once you submit it, that's it. List close. All the other colleges are dead to you. Can't go back. You can go back. So so you're going to submit college by college. So you go into that part where you added a college and they can put a supplement or extra questions and you hit review and submit, review the whole application and you submit to that one college. Then you go into the next college and submit. So you can start, you can submit to some this week and a few the following week. And then after you submit all of them, you might log back in and pick a few more. It takes up to 20 applications. Hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. So there's, you're not like married to your choices Mm -hmm. and that's it. Door closes. Guess you're not going to Duke. Yeah. Cause that's what's going to cause it to go to Duke. You never know. You never know. Maybe Duke is really looking for a freshman student who did a podcast with their mom for two years on mental health and teen issues. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I bet they don't have one. I know. You're unique. Yeah. Who's somebody who? Yeah. It's always good to have reached colleges and ones where you're thinking, I might not get in, but you might. So I feel like I get, and I don't know, you know, and I know you're not like the finance person here, but I get to where I think like a school like Duke, for example, I just feel like it would be so expensive that unless you're like that top, you know, half of a percent, you know, where you're the genius who should have gone to medical school when they're 14, like they're not going to give you any money. Yeah. So sometimes I think families should think about what is the outcome. So if you're going to do to study philosophy, you don't really know the outcome and how much money you're going to make. But if you're going to do to study, I don't know, uh, computer science, engineering, you can look up the stats on how much money you're going to make and decide whether it wouldn't be such a hardship to pay off these student loans. So. I guess what I want to say is every student is different. And I don't know Duke in particular, but they might give out quite a bit of aid that's merit-based. And need, they, I'm sure they do need-based. And that's not difficult to look up. So you can always apply, get in, and not go if the money doesn't come through. My understanding is when you have a you know parents who are divorced, they're remarried, those par- new parents have income like... You know, for somebody like Anna here, who has four parents, all with professional degrees, there's not, she's not going to be on any needs-based list. Probably not. Just like, you don't want to act like poor me, but at the same time, like. College is expensive. Yeah. It is expensive, but there are plenty of colleges that would want to give you a lot of merit aid to make it inexpensive for you to go to. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can be done. Maybe not at Duke. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not at Duke. Maybe not. Well, we That's went and okay. toured American. It was like seventy-one thousand a year. A George Mason shirt right now. Yes, you are. You do have a lot of college oh. T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what colleges did you like when you visited? I'm curious. 
there's none that really was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I really like the atmosphere of American, but like, I there's feel like a lot I of like find international that. business. Yeah. And like, but I feel like that atmosphere is at other colleges. Like, it's not just American. Um, I toured App State, which was really cool too. I really liked the mountains and it was really outdoorsy and there was a lot of dogs everywhere. But they're very like, I feel like liberal arts and more like educational based. And I don't really want to go into those fields. So it's kind of like, I don't know if that's a good choice to go into because I probably wouldn't go for those majors. So it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe I should try something else. So, you know, I'm doing a lot of like looking up majors that I kind of have an interest in and finding the colleges that have really good programs for them and then looking into those colleges. So, yeah. Sounds like a great way to go about it. Like around here, here in South Carolina, one of the popular schools the kids apply to from Anna's high school is Clemson. So in USC, Clemson, USC, and then there's like Coastal, Coastal Carolina, College Charleston, Winthrop. I can't imagine you going to Winthrop. Neither can I. It's like five seconds from our house. Mm. It would feel like she was just going to high school. Might as well just live at home. Yeah. Just have no life. Pass. Yeah. I agree. You should go live somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, I will miss you, but <laughs> it's just a good life. Yeah. Thing. So, so Actually, yeah. One of my friends, she goes to University of Denver and she's like got a gymnastics scholarship. And I asked her because I saw her yesterday because she came back for a little bit. And I was like, so how's college? She's like, oh, it's great. Like, she's like, she's loving it. She's like, it's, I'm so excited for you guys to go to college because she's a year older than us. And so she's like, yes, it's fantastic. Like highly recommend She's like, it's great. She has only positive things to say. Would you look in Cal- in Colorado? I'm like not opposed to it. My family who lives there. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Why not? That's a good school, University of Denver. I visited. I was impressed with what they offered and with the, the whole feel of the campus just felt good. I think it's around the same size as American. I'm not 100% on that. I'd have to look it up. So if that size felt comfortable to you, you might like University yeah. of Denver. Well, Definitely any suggestions you have? We also have family in Boston and in Rochester, Minnesota, Myrtle Beach. Where else? Atlanta. Atlanta. I do. Yeah. So, I mean, Louisiana. I would, I would personally love for her to stay on the East Coast because that's where we live. That's what I feel like familiar with. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to, to drive back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like she's earned the right to make these decisions and she'll be fine regardless of where she she goes. Yeah. So I felt, feel like if she has like a strong interest or passion to go to a specific school, I would never want to get in her way. But if she's like, Oh, I could go to a school three hours away. And I feel just as equal about it as a school that's has to be on a, you know, a half a day's plane ride. Like, mm, I don't know that. Especially for undergrad. I feel like that's unnecessary. Yeah. Plus three hours away, you're away. Yeah, you are. You're I going mean, to have all that independence. You don't need to be all the way across the country to get it. However, mm-hmm. there might be a really good fit all the way across the country. And then lucky for you, your mom's opening the door for you to do that. So, or maybe that makes it harder and more stressful because you have so many options to pick from. How do you narrow yeah. them down? One of my friends is only allowed to go into in-state. Like mm-hmm. his parents told him he's only allowed to stay in-state, which is understandable. Is it? No. We live right on the border of two states. I also, feel like because they are be very like financially okay. <laughs> like they could, if they wanted to, they could pay out of state. But, you know, obviously it's their rules. 
Yeah. Yeah. Gotta respect. Them. I do think finances should be considered simply because we don't. They're important. Yeah. We don't need to like waste a ton of money if you can get do the same, virtually the same thing for less. But at the same time, I think there are some things that are legitimately worth more money to spend, like your your quality of life or your exposure to something, some sort of opportunity could cost more and it could be worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The hard part is that you don't know. You can guess and take educated guesses, but what are those opportunities? You don't know who you're going to bump into that's going to provide that internship or that life partner or that, right? So it's difficult. If you knew the future, it'd be easy to make the choices, but it's the educated guess where people get stuck and kind of feeling like, how am I going to take this guess? How am I going to be sure these are the right ones? What if you don't go to a college and then you never meet a dog and then you never met the dog owner and then you didn't get another dog? That would be horrible. (laughs) I swear that she bases her love of towns where we we just went to Greece. We went to Mm -hmm. Greece a couple of weeks ago. The rest of us, pictures of beautiful scenery, cultural, you know, landmarks, amazing food. You know what she took pictures of? dogs stray cats she has dozens of stray cat pictures because that is there are stray cats everywhere in greece Mm -hmm. every single one is adorable is adorable (laughs) i love them she had to hold it she had to pet it she had to feed it parts of her dinner she had to follow it around and then another pack of stray cats would come out and then she'd have to feed them like Mm -hmm. it was great i was she was in heaven. Yes. There are some campuses. I love dogs too. So there are some campuses that are really dog friendly. I think. I think App State is one of them. Is it? Swarthmore, I think, allows all the professors to bring dogs. And there were dogs everywhere, Swarthmore in Philly. And then I had a student visit Sweetbriar College, which is an all women's college in Virginia. And people bring their horses there. There's an equestrian program. Oh, and wow. it seemed really I'm scared easy of to horses. Comfort <laughs> So that one doesn't do it for you then. It's all women's college too. So you have to be open to that. There's a way to prioritize that. Eckerd. I think Eckerd, which is in Florida, has a pet dorm. Look that up, I think. Plus, you might be one of those people who does the, um, who takes the dogs to class to get them socialized before they go on for their training to be a service dog. I saw that at Wake Forest University. Wake Forest is not very far away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was petting puppies there and the kids are like, oh, we're allowed to bring them everywhere, get them socialized and do their basic training. And then they move on to guiding eyes or whatever the next step is for those who might like participating in that. You'd make so many friends if you were the kid with the puppy. That's true. Right? You would. That's a great yeah. way to friends. So if you could have a dog mm-hmm. and like be the person, would you be open to going to an all girls college? Mm, I don't know. Because as much as I want a dog, like if that means I had to wait a few years, like I don't know, I'd, I'd you rather have boys than dogs? No, that's not what I'm saying. But sometimes girls are a little bit mean. <laughs> <laughs> so. Maybe maybe not the ones who would pick the all girls college. That's maybe true. maybe that, that would attract nice girls. That is a very good point. Mm. But you could also find a, a dog friendly school or something that is not all all you know, like an Eckerd. For example, yeah, boys, you can have boys and dogs, both even better. That's the both worlds. I love that. Oh, gosh, this has been so informational. Mm-hmm. I hope so, it's been helpful. 
to you and to your your listeners. Oh, I'm sure. And I think that for parents out there, just thinking about, you know, easing your kid into the process. I love the idea, like you said, of like, take that first, just take a couple minutes and skim through it and just see like, okay, what do we have in front of us? Like, this isn't so bad. You know, maybe have set some smaller goals, like, Hey, let's spend 20 minutes on it tonight Mm -hmm. and see what we can do in 20 minutes instead of getting caught up in like, you have to do three sections and then making sure that you're just not tanking your relationship with your kid because you're spending so much time like nagging them about it. Like, I guess, get to a place where you're sort of like, Hey, what is the next step? And I definitely encourage parents out there. If you feel like you're hitting your head against the wall, like bring your kid into a conversation with the school counselor and sit down together and plan how to go through this process or to a counselor such as, such as me, where you don't have to go in and have, you know, many, many sessions over it, but you could kind of be like, Hey, this is obviously a hurdle. Our, our, our family needs to get through is applying to colleges. And like, can we create a plan that works for all of us? So we're not doing a lot of like arguing about it. Right. Or you could hire an educational consultant and they'll just take it off your plate. And because students don't argue with me, they're just like, oh, great, let's get it done. It's a whole different attitude simply because I'm not mom. Well, and I think of your experience with your tutor now, Anna, like I didn't know she was even doing as much, but now I'm like, boy, I was chill before. My brain shut off completely knowing that she's helping me. <laughs> what were we talking about today? Did we, did we podcast? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, any last thoughts that you want to share, Michelle? Let's see. I don't have anything coming to mind. No. Yay. Just, yeah. I think we covered it all. There's a lot there for people that I hope they found it really helpful. Well, I think this will be an episode that will be very popular, especially for this time of year. So if you're a parent out there, you've listened to this episode, send it along to your kid or your kid's friends or your kid's friend's parents and just get this information out there because I think it's whew, it's crunch time for seniors and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be miserable, but it does need to be like kind of focused and have some attention to detail. But yeah, so we're, we're really looking forward to posting this. And I'm going to make you, Anna, listen to it again when you get a little stressed about it. Yeah, it's a good plan. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of One Day You'll Thank Me. We have new episodes every Wednesday. We are wrapping up season five. Mm -hmm. I know. And Anna's about heading into her senior year. Uh And we're going to talk soon with my new employees who I've hired to be part of the team over at my therapy practice, because we all get to benefit from their knowledge mm-hmm. and expertise. But thank you, Michelle, so much for yes, being part of our show. thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Okay. Love you, mom. Love you too, sweetie.